Hey, everybody, welcome to the Dark Room Podcast. My name is Dane Diener. I'm an LA based creator, and I teamed up with the dudes over at Dark Room, an online print shop that makes selling your photography or artwork super easy, super efficient, and with amazing quality. You can check those guys out at Darkroom. Dot tech. I highly recommend it if you are trying to sell prints, if you want to sell prints, if you want to sell artwork, if you want to sell anything physical like that, then go to darkroom.tech and check these guys out. Everything is super simple to use, super easy for your fans and followers that really want your artwork and photographs. So you may be asking yourself, what is the Darkroom Podcast? And this is going to be weekly conversations where I get to sit down with full-time creators that could be anywhere from photographers to videographers to founders of startups to CEOs, creative entrepreneurs, you get the gist. Everybody doing something incredible in the creative space. You guys are in luck because not only is this the very first episode of the Darkroom Podcast, but... In today's episode, I sit down and chat with Peter Daring, CEO and founder of Peak Design, one of the best gear companies on the planet, not just for creators, but for anybody that needs an amazing travel bag, a camera clip, camera straps, and so on. I had a great time talking with Peter. We talked about everything from green tech, to starting up Peak Design, to raising over $15 million on Kickstarter. This guy is a machine. I really hope you enjoy it and can take away a ton because I definitely did. So without further ado, here is a conversation with the one and only Peter Daring. Welcome to the Dark Room Podcast, where you'll get to hear from the best full-time creators on the planet. From starting out to where they are now and everywhere in between. Welcome to the Dark Room. Hey guys, Dane here with the Dark Room Podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us. Today I have Peter Daring, CEO and founder of Peak Design, one of the most successful photography gear companies in the world. Peter, thank you so much for coming on today. Thanks, man. Pleasure to be here. Cool to hear that intro, too. Thank yeah, you. Appreciate it, man. Uh, so, okay, Peter Daring, there are so many awesome aspects to you and your life and your success and your career, but for people who don't know you and don't know what you're about, what is Peter Daring about? Oh, man. Ooh, deep question to start off. Uh, and a... a, a, a the kind of the deep answer and the, the, the truest answer I think is, is personal freedom. Believe yes. it or not, peak, peak design was really founded about seeking personal freedom. And at the time that meant quitting my, my corporate job, um, and you know, kind of not being told what to do. And the, really the whole company has become an extension of that and trying to provide that same thing for the employees of peak design, just to live lives that, um, we want to live. That's it. That's amazing. And, you know, a lot of people listening to this are either in a position where they want to have that be a part of their story, you know, going from either a part-time job to a full-time creator, or maybe they already are full-time creators, but, you know, they're looking to, to take that next step up or the next jump up and, like, really have ultimate freedom in their craft. So that's, that's amazing that that, you know, is kind of the, the beginning of your story. And speaking of that, I would really love to go back back before peak design and uh, kind of, you know, like around, around that time before when you were in school for civil engineering in college. So. Sure. Well, the decision for when something like this, Madison, University of Wisconsin, Madison, uh, I grew up in Minnesota. And so we get reciprocity tuition. So that's like really cheap. It's basically in-state tuition, even though you don't live in state. So I knew I was going to go to Wisconsin. Once I showed up there, uh, Math was always kind of my jam, and so I figured engineering was the ticket. And you know, semester one, I took this sort of intro to all the engineering disciplines, and 
hilariously in in that class it was like I mean, it was like video day we watched a documentary called skyscraper that pbs put out in like in the 90s and it documented what it took to build a skyscraper in new york nice and that of, of all the engineering disciplines i said that seems like the most fun and i think it's really like the operations that i have been drawn to of, of what it takes to build a skyscraper so i followed that uh, in civil engineering and then construction management. And then that led to my first job as a construction manager. And, you know, the path is, the path is decently written though, um, in the construction world. There's, you know, there's, there's 30 huge general contractors operating in the United States. And I worked for one of them, a pretty good one called Mm -hmm. McCarthy. And, um, it was a hell of a learning experience because you come in there um, extremely green. Not only do you not know about construction, you don't know about engineering, you just don't know about business and you barely know about communications. And like all of a sudden you are put in the place of managing subcontractors who are like, have millions of dollars of business that are going into a building and you just got to figure that all out. So it's an incredible trial by fire. And I really credit that career has given me a solid foundation for business, um, for understanding contracts, for understanding how other people work, um, and for understanding that really the magic to all of this is relationships. Um, Get people to like you and respect you, and they're going to be more willing to work for you. Yeah, it's awesome. So you you definitely took a lot out of it. And then when you were going through that, did you kind of see like where you would be in 20, 30, 40 years down the road? And is that kind of what steered you to a different path? Or did that kind of happen organically? Because you were shooting at the time, right? You were big into photography then. Yeah, well. I'd gotten big into photography um, in at the end of high school and then throughout college. And, and I got my first SLR with my first bonus from McCarthy. Um, and I got my motorcycle with my second bonus from McCarthy. Oh yeah. The two, the two, two perfect things. Yeah. Yeah. And those, and those things really ended up defining a lot of like how I saw myself. I saw myself as like this risk taking adventurer who would split lanes across the Bay bridge every day and have my camera with me. Every oh, yeah. day you never know what kind of shots are going to come <laughs> yeah. up. And like, that was some of my favorite shooting, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and, uh, it was really, though, your question as to seeing 20 years out. So one thing that I clearly saw 20 years out for the construction dudes ahead of me was a lot of divorce, a lot of drinking, mm-hmm. um, like a hard, hard life. Because what's crazy about construction as you advance in your career you know, some things get a little bit cushier. You get a little more free time yeah. in construction. The responsibility to dive into and know and understand the details just becomes crushingly more important. And the, the, the amount of toil that goes into that job, it's just so hard to build buildings. I respect it like crazy, but I was definitely fearful of, of that being the career path. It gave me great anxiety. And so when I... After my first my first project completed, it was a library at UC Berkeley. Nice. Um, I, I got a leave of absence, and um, which is a bold thing to ask for, you know. Like I, here, I am not even two years in. I'm like, hey, I want to take off for four months and explore the world. Yeah. Later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah see you. Thanks. Yeah. See you. Thanks. <laughs> uh, you know, and I was I was encouraged to do that because at the end of the day, if they would have said no. Um, they might have just said no, yeah. and I would have had to decide, do I quit the job or do I keep going? I didn't have to make that call, though. They let me go. and But that is where I got my taste of freedom, mm-hmm. and I really actually saw photography. I thought, much like probably a lot of people who are following your show, I thought I was going to find my living through photography um, because I had... You know, I didn't. I even had a crop sensor SLR, but I thought that was the shit. Oh yeah, and and and, and it was to me. Yeah, and, and you know, I was taking photographs of people that they'd never seen. They'd never seen uh, a photograph of themselves with a beautiful bokeh in the background. And um, I so I, like my first business idea before I went out on the trip was like, 
I was just going to carry the business cards and like have the website set up where they can go pick. Yeah, go door to door pretty much or, or wherever. Yeah. And drop them off. Yeah, definitely. A lot of my ideas started uh, certainly that small. Um, but uh, going on that trip, um, it just was a it was a a way to foster a ton of different ideas. So a lot of things, a lot of entrepreneurial ideas came out of that trip. Yeah. So, I mean, before peak design, like was there a before peak design when it comes to, to that process in your head, did you have other ideas? Were you like teetering with different aspects of design or, or products that just never saw the, you know, the cutting room floor? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, um, a regenerative brake mechanism for electrified trains was wow. my first, my first provisional patent. And the thing that I pursued, so after I got back from my trip, I was like addicted to the freedom thing, addicted to the travel thing. And also I was very, very much into uh, clean, clean tech, mm-hmm. green energy. Um, I read all the time. There's a website called Green Tech Media. And I just like dive into all these technologies that are going towards moving our economy to a clean economy, something I'm still very passionate about. Um, and so certainly with kind of like, I I feel like this was sort of also the the time in my life where I understood the, um, the transferability of energy, you know, the, the, the miraculous way that the sun beats down on the earth and grows these plants up and then they die and it becomes Oh, the cycle. Yeah. Amazing. It's like this remarkable cycle that almost all points back to the sun, Mm -hmm. which all points back to gravity. And it like, because that's what the mass of that causes the fusion reactions. It's really incredible. And like to think of how that energy can get transferred from 93 million miles away and end up here in sufficient quantities to create all of the things that humankind has created. Like I have been in wonderment of that specific concept uh, ever since it, it, it came to me. Um, and it's not like it, 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 I think it comes to most people who think about energy uh, for long enough. Um, yeah. that, no, it's that, the, the okay. essence of life. It's beautiful. Alex, totally. Alex Atola, I, maybe I'm butchering his last name. Do you know that the chef, Alex Atola? He's a, a no, Brazilian I, chef. I uh, Chef's Table on uh, Netflix, there's a, an episode with him, and he has this really beautiful monologue about the circle of life and, and how a flower just really can represent it all about how, you know, a flower blooms and then it dies. And when it dies, the seed falls back in the ground and the sun comes down, brings that seed back up to the surface and the cycle continues. And it, it's it, remarkable. It reminds me of that. Yeah, absolutely, man. There, no, you can go deep on energy in a lot of different ways. And at the time, um, green tech and, and, you know, renewable energy and, and, and all that, like that wasn't huge yet, right? Like what, what year are we talking when this is actually, all it, going it down? Actually, really, it was. It was 2006, 2007. So I okay. first heard the word sustainability late in college, like 2000, 2005. Mm-hmm. And like this notion of sustainability was, I, I loved it because people have all these funky definitions of what sustainability means. But basically to me, it just means like, we can keep doing what we're doing at Infinium, um, like not not blow it, yeah. you know. Um, and uh, it was super hot in 2007 and the early part of 2008. It like we, we really thought that we were going to you know flip the switch and move to a clean economy, but the financial crisis happened, and it totally blew it. It absolutely derailed it because. Right credit stopped and for all sorts of reasons it got really nasty um so it's really only only since 2014-15 able to have begun its its sort of resurgence um but i I thought that was going to be the ticket and i i thought that i had stumbled upon and to a degree i had a, a really excellent um opportunity uh which was Basically, subways uh, or, or any any electrified train system mm-hmm. comes into a stop and has all this kinetic energy and then just blows it all when it stops. And it does this every mile, yeah. literally, all day long. That's what it does. And I found out, you know, like basically the electricity bill for BART in San Francisco is, is $39 million a year. What? And, yeah, that yeah. is insane. Well, it, like it, 
it, it just like, okay, so that's, that's the revenue stream that you're working with. Like if you can save 15 million, if you can save half of that, you've got a decent little revenue stream mm -hmm. and how much would it cost to implement the system? Maybe, you know, so that was the first, like, I, I really dug into that both from a business case standpoint and from at least my concept as a, as a pretty green engineer's standpoint. Um, you know, I'm not an electrical engineer. Um, so everything was a very rough approximation. Um, and the, the, the concept was to silly enough to like physically catch trains with like a, a hook and a cable, mm -hmm. have that cable yank on a flywheel, spin that sucker up until it's going real and fast. And then it will compress and the train like, will slow naturally. It'll, it'll, yeah, flywheels, flywheels store kinetic energy and rotational energy. Um, and then, and then let that same flywheel close the circuit and then use, it can become a generator and shoot it off with electricity. Um, funny enough, it would have made a whole of a lot more sense to just electrically charge at the flywheel and then electrically disperse it, which is something that they are doing now. Oh, um, no way. Would you say it's because of your original idea that they, uh, they kind of looked at it and just tweaked it? Nope. Nope. I think they thought of it on their own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know. No, I was, I was going to say, so did you say that the guy, that did get patented or you were trying to get a patent for it? Um, that didn't, it, it does not necessarily that it got patented, uh, because frankly, uh, now I know a lot more about the intellectual property world. Mm -hmm. I'm not even certain that what I was doing was a patentable thing because I'm combining existing technologies. Uh, sure. Maybe it could have been, um, and the actual, the, the, it's, it's just that the putting flywheels at substations of trains is something that they're actually doing right now. I have no knowledge of the intellectual property around it. It's just a, you know, someone's trying out that business case right now, which is cool. I, I, I love that that's happening. I love that this economy can support that. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's, that's awesome. And so then will you, you know, you do that or, you know, you kind of figure out like what that would look like and kind of just steered away from it and then jumped back kind of into the thinking and, and you know, designing and what, what was around then after. Where you, uh, you're still shooting and traveling and and no, I'm actually I'm actually this is this is when I'm I, I came back from my shooting and traveling and now I'm I'm working again on a second construction project for mm -hmm. about eighteen months. I'm working on that train thing, um, and 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 I and I and I have it in my mind that I am not going to do construction. I am I'm going to give this entrepreneurial idea a crack. Yeah. Um and 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 if that doesn't work, I'm also going to apply to grad school for energy and economics um, and dive into the energy sector. Um, right, right before I was scheduled to quit my job, um, I'd gone on a backcountry skiing trip with um, my girlfriend at the time. Cool. And I had re-encountered the problem of that capture would solve because I got two ski poles. I got the camera that literally I can't put around my neck. Yeah, you're it's skiing, bouncing. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And I got a bit, you know, I got a 55 pound pack on. And so it's either no pictures or like stop four minute operation, right. which you got to conserve energy because you're huffing and puffing. And so I told her about my idea for capture, which is the clip oh, yeah. that mounts on your backpack strap. And basically her comment was, that seems a lot easier than the trains. I think you should work <laughs> on that. They're like, uh, yeah, it actually does. I think I should work on it. That's yeah. amazing because that dude, that is that capture clip is a game changer. Like that changes how so many people even get to access their camera. Like you were saying, you know, like I snowboard all the time, and you know, I understand being in a place where you kind of have to make that decision: where do I bring the camera or do I keep it safe? And you totally. really kind of just you know made that a simple solution. And really, that uh, that notion of actually like helping you make the decision to bring your camera is is sort of at the core of all of the products that we have made so far mm -hmm. basically there's a certain amount of pain in the ass that anything photography related is and we hope to lessen that pain in the ass such that you make the decision to bring that thing i love that it's that's perfect that. yeah and like our bags do the same thing our straps do the same thing um, and our future products also are just going to essentially increase the number of opportunities that you have to do something that you love. 
Yeah, amazing. And the and the design quality as well. And I, I definitely want to jump into that. Uh, I was just going to ask, what came first, really? Obviously, it sounds like the capture clip came before peak design came. But did peak design come right after? Or did it take some time to kind of figure out, okay, like, how do I want to package this? How do I want to brand it? What am I going to name it? Like, what was that process like? Uh, that's a good question. It happened simultaneously. Um, there was during that summer of 2010 when I was working on Capture. Um, I had arrived at the name Capture, and I was in New York for a bit with my buddy Nick Kaplan. He tried to convince me that the name of the company should be Capture, um, and I, I was, uh, you know, like staunchly opposed to that because I wanted a name that was general. Um, it didn't, you know, it wasn't going to pigeonhole me just to cameras or just to certainly just to this device. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I, and, and plus that I'd already had a logo, uh, because it was my initials in a stylized way. Oh, nice. Um, cool. And, and so, and I knew I wanted the second word to be design and, uh, that same girlfriend Ivy, um, helped me or she came up with the word peak. Okay. So. They were kind of, they were born together. Is she getting percentages after all these, uh, these helpful tips and hints? Well, funny you should ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, she did, uh, we, we um, actually Ivy and I had a, had a daughter together um, during the first Kickstarter campaign, but we ended up not getting married, um, but we still are, are, are very close in raising our daughter together. Cool, that's um, awesome to hear. So, yeah, no. sorry? No, I said that's awesome to hear. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. So our kid is seven years old now. Oh wow! Uh, and born born during the first Kickstarter campaign. No way. That's yeah. oh, that's awesome. So that first Kickstarter, I believe I read that you were using was it like a Microsoft like a Microsoft uh, video program something just Dude. totally ancient. Yeah. Right. It was it was Windows Movie Maker Seven, and nice. it was the first. It was the first time I'd ever used video editing software, but I loved it. Yeah. I was like, this is fun. Um, oh, for sure. You know? And uh, I, like, I can't believe that the Dell XPS 1210 that I had like, had the power to process it all. Oh, that thing and is probably about to blow up every single time you opened it. It was all just a different world, though, man. Yeah. You know, like, like 4K wasn't, wasn't a thing. You oh, know? for sure. Um, I used to uh, or do Microsoft Paint all the time. Like every yeah. single day I would just get on Microsoft Paint. And to me, that was like that program was the coolest thing I've ever seen. So and when you jumped on that one, you're probably like, man, I can do anything now. Anything I totally. want. So yeah. you, you cut together the first Kickstarter. Did you did you film it yourself too? Yeah, I uh I was going in so I, I, I got I got lucky to get a desk in the this kind of it wasn't a co working spot. It was actually the headquarters of you know the company that makes Jewel? The, the vapes that the, they have the most successful vaporizing, or okay, vape, vape, I know vape. Jewel. I didn't know that there was a company above making them. And, and they all, well, the, the so there's Pax. Basically, their company was originally Plume. Then mm -hmm. they split into Pax, which is the weed devices, and Jewel, which is the nicotine devices. Gotcha. That's where Peak Design had their, our first desk. No because, way. Yeah. Nice. A good friend of mine who now works for Peak Design kite surfed with this dude Tobin, who is friends with the guys at Jewel, and they said, "Come on in." So anyway, I I had a like just a desk in their in their office in their first office in the dog patch in San Francisco, and I was going to shoot this Kickstarter, and I knew of this photography studio on the same floor as ours, so I went down and asked them if I could borrow. I wanted to borrow some white paper like background studio yeah. background i was like well apple does white background That's yeah. what I'm gonna do. give me something white yeah and um they uh they're like well what are you doing and i'm like i'm doing this kickstarter and they're like oh we're thinking about doing a kickstarter say why don't you just shoot it here in our super badass professional studio and why don't you use our, our 5d mark three like and you know what you need a couple interns to help you with the shoot let's do that too oh and here's a teleprompter and like Giant. Suddenly, yeah, that's huge. It was like, oh, this is going to be way different than it would have been otherwise. Yeah. Um, so it's just another remarkable stroke of luck in the in the journey towards 
you know, what has, what, what peak design has become today. Yeah. And well, and the first one, you know, was so successful. Did you know going into it, like what it took to make a successful Kickstarter or did you kind of just do what you liked and hope that, you know, people would gravitate towards it or did you do some research in it? Uh, well, the research that I did was looking at other Kickstarters out there mm -hmm. and there were like, there's this one called TikTok and lunatic. It took an iPod nano and it like made a watch band out of it. Mm. And this dude, Scott mm. Wilson, uh, made $928,000 on that Kickstarter. Yeah. And, and then all the other products or, or, or like projects up to that point, I really felt like my idea was considerably stronger than, than the vast majority of those. Um, and so I, I thought that it was going to do really, really well. Mm -hmm. Um, and it did. It, it, and it became the second most funded pro project. But I didn't do anything other than email my friends and family, post it on Facebook, and put it on the platform. Yeah, because at that time, it, yeah, the reach was people you knew in your inner circle. It, you didn't have a ton of you know, money to throw into marketing or do anything like that. So that was the organic Kickstarter, I think, if you will. And then the next one, the next Kickstarter was for the first bag launch, right? No, 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 no. Actually, that's a misconception, common misconception. It okay. would capture, and then we did Leash, okay. which is actually, oddly enough, I have one right here. Nice. Uh, I was just the, playing with the, one. The, the, the next version, of course, of the Leash. So we did Clips, and then we did Straps, which was Leash and Cuff, and then we did Clip version 2, and then we did Straps version 2, which was basically a, a big boy strap, a slide, mm -hmm. and, and a clutch. Um, and then we did bags. So uh, the first bag was our fifth campaign. Okay. Um, and I'd say the first four were entirely organic. Gotcha. And so what we were building on were some press relationships, but mostly the back, the previous backers of our previous campaigns. We just had such incredible, like, repeat buyers, essentially. Yeah, yeah which uh, is so backers. important. And so yep. uh, in this process, when did you sit back and realize, oh, man, like, this is something huge, and, like, this is a real thing that now, you know, I'm a CEO and founder of a potentially giant company? Well, um... That realization is only starting to happen, like right now. Cool. Um, uh, I'm I'm starting to see my way through towards some 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 bigger some bigger things for real. Um, but in terms of like when this began to feel like a real thing, like we had the, the, the notion of kind of having captured lightning in the bottle. Mm -hmm. It was on day one of the Kickstarter. Nice. Of the first Kickstarter. That's awesome. Like yeah. at, at that point, I thought, holy shit. Like, cause it was on the trajectory to become the, the second most funded of all time. And I was like, this is, this is going to work. Yeah. Um, and so every, every step of the way, because of the nature in which we've, structured our company it's just been this linear climb you know nothing n nothing weird about it no no investors to kind of artificially pump things um just steady steady growth really you know strong growth but steady and be so that because that rate of change hasn't really um had any big you know big swings either direction there hasn't been a very, there hasn't been much change in like the way I feel about it. It's mm -hmm. always felt like a big deal to me. How many people were in that, you know, founding crew, or at least in the very beginning, how many people were in that circle then? And, and what does it look like now? Well, there were zero other people in the circle at the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and then my first guy that I hired was Adam Saracino, who's our current head of marketing. And I brought him on like 10 days into, or 14 days into that first campaign. Okay. Um, and then, uh, and then um, Art Vijay was the second major hire. We, there's actually a guy named Luke Roberts who 
we, we brought on, or me and Adam brought on as a contractor to help us with European sales. Cool. Because he's based in Europe, and he's still, he's our head of, head of international distributions. Um, so he still works for the company. And then Art Vijay, uh, lead designer, he came on um, about, you know, a, a year after I started. Um, and put it this way, between, so when I quit my job was 2010, and 2013 is when we got brought on a guy named Pete Lockett. And when we brought on Pete, it was me, Art, Adam, Pete, and my good buddy Dave. And then Luke was still contracting, um, as my kind of part-time commission deal. But so the five, the five of us there, um, I, you know, that's when I, I, I kind of signed everybody up for, um, a, an equity stick. Um, it's actually phantom equity, but it's something we created. It works the same way as equity. And so, those those guys are are in for five percent each of the company, and then we've con- we've continued to um, give out equity. We've given out about thirty percent now to just to employees. Yeah, that's huge. That's awesome. So so the the circle now it's not that much bigger. Uh, it, you kind of have kept you know everyone pretty close to home and 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 have kept it a tight knit ship. Is what it sounds like. Yep, very yeah. much so. Cool. Yeah, I love it. So, and, you know, nobody, nobody's. There have been a couple of people who have moved away, uh, but that weren't very major parts of the of the organization or hadn't been there for long. Essentially, nobody's quit in these eight years, and that is uh, a, that's, a big. That's deal. huge. That's that's amazing, right? That's it is. Like, what yeah. else could you ask for? That's so perfect. Um, when, when it comes to the designing, you have been doing everything. And from the beginning too, like you designed everything up into the backpacks and, and now you're, you're continuing to design. I know you have a new Kickstarter right now mm-hmm. going on for the newest one, but b- back to the first bag design, what was that process like? Well, that was, uh, you know, my, uh, the majority of that, initial design well hmm. so our lead designer art vj is uh the guy who has supplied the aesthetic to our bags and and much of the aesthetic to the to the company right i'd say like my design work on capture um informed his taking the reins of kind of designing the aesthetic um up until till the bags and then, really, the bags have helped design our aesthetic as well. Um, that was a uh, that process was me, uh, me and Art um, and Lockett, um, you know, really, really deciding on kind of the functional requirements of what we thought a bag should be. Uh, also, along with working with Trey Ratcliffe, who's a very well-known photographer um, with a with a huge reach. Um, and you know, it took us it took us a year of, of thinking about what kind of what what we would think would make a great photography bag. Um, and it's pretty amazing how that thing came together. Like getting to know Vietnam, um, which we had not manufactured in before, and getting to know these new new partners that would help us build these things. Uh, it was a total blast. Yeah, um, and those those bags are absolutely beautiful. Like every single aspect is perfect. And like as a photographer, you know, like that's a really hard thing to come by is a good bag. And maybe that sounds weird to the outside world, but it's giant and it's everything photography. And I also think it's really cool how you guys market, not just to photographers or creatives, you know, you can make it make sense for everybody and anybody who just needs to, you know, like throw a bag on the train and and go somewhere for work or or do something like that. Um, Would you say that, in designing those bags, you guys were kind of fixing a problem that you had. Did you ever look at a bag and that's kind of what sparked that idea of, you know, like I need to carry this more efficiently. How do I do that? Always. I, I like that. Fixing problems is what, is what drives our design. And I think one thing that, uh, all designers, ought to do is try to be realistic about about problems and how big problems are 
and how big problems aren't. Like you can you can also get into this habit of kind of convincing yourself that something is a bigger problem than it is, and that your solution is so important. You know, um, I think that we're very realistic about what actually matters, what's actually important, what's worth talking about, what's worth doing, what's worth putting extra weight into the bag. Um, it's all about solving problems, and but but first correctly assigning the magnitude of the problem. Amazing. I, I definitely want to get into the newest design, but before we do that, just so everyone knows that's listening, so I could be wrong, but I believe that you have about, you've raised about $15 million within six Kickstarters so far. Is that about right? Uh, it's about right, but I think now, because we've got, we're, we're close to 2.5 on this one, so I think it's more like $17 million, and this is our eighth Kickstarter. Oh, it is. Okay. Yeah. Eighth. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was at number six. Okay. So, yeah. so just so people get an idea of like the scale and how giant not only that first one was, but how you guys continue to, to just keep putting out incredible products with incredible design and incredible Kickstarters. How important is the content and every little thing that goes into crowdfunding and, and, and making that you know, appealing to, to everybody. Mm -hmm. Um, well, the, I think the question is, is more like, like, would you say the question is kind of along the lines of like, what is it that makes peak design crowdfunding campaigns successful? Or uh, it, well, you, we can go, we can go with that. Or, or I was thinking, you know, for people, just to hear how, like, what goes into creating oh. a very successful crowdfunding sure. Kickstarter. Right. Well, it it starts with the product, um, and, and and like the product is is king, and we work on these products. You know, it's been two years we've been working on this travel line, and um, at a certain point, though, you know, you can you can design something to infinity. There's no, there's, there's no, there's no stopping point necessarily. Nothing is ever done. Nothing is ever perfect. You have to cut it off at a certain point. And so we used outdoor retailer this year as kind of our, our uh, impetus for saying that's when we're going to launch this bag. And then it becomes this super hard, like all hands on, working late hours, cranking out all the details because that's where the devil is man is in the details especially when it comes to a bag this is just like this is a prototype of the tech pack like every little aspect of this requires you know every every stitch every bar tack um every handle like there's been we prototyped three different ones and said which ones do we want which ones work best which ones are most attractive so there's all of that product work and then the amount of work that it takes to tell the story is tremendous and that means packaging that means photos that means uh writing of the, the the video for for the kickstarter the creation of the video the editing it um it is a very intensive process to do it at the level that 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 is basically required for us now you know like we couldn't revert to the day where peter daring goes out and 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 cuts a move uh, a movie on windows movie maker 7 was, yeah. Was, what the hell? What happened? <laughs> yeah, the production quality is definitely uh, top notch. As uh, throughout you. the years, it, it's incredible, especially with this new one. So this new, uh, this newest bag, and this newest line that you're launching. I think the end date of this Kickstarter, the newest, is September 20th. Mm -hmm. Right, that's my birthday. So once I saw that, I was like, oh, I remember that day for sure. It's gonna uh, feel like my birthday too. Oh, definitely. And you're already at about you're at two and a half million, right? I think so. Yeah. And, and can you talk about the line a little bit and, sure. uh, you know, kind of just the different things that you're offering with this newest peak design product? Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the, the theory behind this bag was, is, is really that no two trips are alike. And you can think of, we, we, we frequently design for ourselves, right? And sometimes we are like pure photographers and we're going and we've got, We've got a full cam. We got a full backpack full of camera gear, but I don't want to have to own a different bag just because my trip has changed based on my photographic requirements, which can be 
no photo gear. Oh, yeah. You know? mm-hmm. um, it can certainly be no photo gear. So we saw an opportunity to make a bag that is as thoughtful for photographers as it is for people that don't even own a camera at all. And that was really the kind of the, the basis of design, like the top level feature that we wanted to include. So that meant, that meant internal cubes of varying sizes for, uh, for, for travel, which also is, is important because that's, that's clearly going to go into, uh, or if it's not clear, it is now, uh, a line of future bags as well. You mm-hmm. can imagine, you know, a travel backpack isn't the only way to, to carry. Um, there are duffels out there. There are roller bags out there. In the in the outdoor world, if you're going adventure, you know, outdoor adventure, like backpacking, multi-night backpacking trips, you need a super lightweight bag. Our cubes are going to be set up to both function as the protection that you need um, and are going to fit into an outdoor line of bags. So this is the first product and like the interior guts of that are going to carry through to many products. Um, not, and when I say many, like not a shotgun blast. We're, we're never going to do something like that. Yeah. We just, like, bleh, just kind yeah. of barf all over the place. Each one of them is going to be as thoughtful as the last. And mm-hmm. each one of them is going to take years to design. Um, so this is, you know, w- w- th- this is what we thought going with the travel backpack first. Uh, we have the most expertise with backpacks. Um, it's kind of the sort of the hottest carry style right now. It's the most sensible for for us. Like certainly more people have probably used rollers, go to an airport. Like it's quite clear that more people use rollers. Yeah. Um, but there is something more pragmatic uh, about, uh, about a backpack and the notion of one bag travel. Um, so I really think that... Uh, I, you know, I felt strongly that it was the right move going into this campaign. I did have apprehension that people might be like, I don't know, like it's just you, you're never sure until until the the crowd responds. Right. Um, but it was wonderful to see their affirmation and a great sigh of relief um, to see that they thought that this product warrants their attention and their hard-earned money. Oh, definitely. And if you guys listening have not seen the Kickstarter or the new bags, I highly suggest going on Kickstarter, looking up Peak Design and watching it because not only is it just done incredibly and it's such, you know, an amazing way to capture the entire line, but the light itself is just, you know, going to be massive. It looks so, so good. Uh, So speaking of engagement, I know that Peak Design is, you know, they are talked about by some of the biggest names in photography, some of the biggest people in social media, and social media being such a giant machine and so important. You know, like you're getting names from guys like Chris Burkhardt, you know, talking about peak design and, and doing it almost organically all the time. You know, what what does that look like? How did the social media game come into play with peak design? Uh, great question. Um and basically, it's been organic. We want people to come to us. We want people to, if people find and appreciate our products on, of their own accord, um, that's really the way that, we, that we'd like it to happen. Um, because it's just something that's far more genuine about it, if, that, if that's the case. Um, and we, we've just never really played the game. Of, of, of going out there and, you know, trying to sign up the Michael Jordan. Um, we just we just hope that the Michael Jordan of photography, which, you know, you could argue is Chris Burkhardt, at least for in, uh, Instagram photography, oh, yeah. um, that, 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 that they're attracted to our products because of their function and their, and their aesthetic. Yeah. And he is. And, you know, I've, I've come to know Chris decently well over the years. Um, and... Uh, you know, we've 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 talked about doing a doing a little product together. Well, specifically, um, making a leash. He loves the leash. He oh, loves yeah. it for simplicity and all that. Um, making a leash that is kind of in in the essence of his brand and his aesthetic. Mm-hmm. And we could do that now, and we could do so with a very clear conscience because the guy's been using our products for a very long time. There's nothing bullshit about it. There's nothing. You know, nothing disingenuous. So we get to tell a, a pure story, and, um, and and you know that's something that we might endeavor to do. Um, 
kind of a matter of finding the time, I think, for both of us. Chris is a super busy guy. He's got a lot of opportunities, and and we have a we have a very, very busy product roadmap. Um, and so, you know, that, that that's it. That's it. A lot of the time, too, is that there's opportunity costs, right? You only get to talk to people so often, right. um, and you can annoy them pretty quickly. And so you should be really choosy about what message you, you, you want to send out there and make sure it's important enough. Right. And generally speaking, we've got a product that's right around the bend that's coming out um, all the time. And so uh, we just haven't, we haven't like had the holes in our marketing calendar to need to um, be constantly like saying, look at us, we're hanging out with Jimmy Chin you know yeah um, for sure it'd be sweet and J- jimmy if you're listening uh I, I you know i know you've got some of our stuff or i think you do but um you know we're we, we are we are incredibly flattered and very respectful of those that are using our gear we just don't seek it out that much yeah that's awesome and and so i know i mean chris is on the west coast are you on the west coast as well where are you out yep. of? yeah san francisco oh you're in, oh so you're still up in the bay yep nice yep. okay cool yeah and uh, what what like what is your day to day right now look like? I know you have this launch coming, so uh, man, it's that's the best part about my job is that my day to day is very very different. Um, I you know Tuesdays are a big meeting day. We have an all hands meeting and then we have a design meeting, and that'll frequently uh, be you know an hour, you know actually a half hour to an hour and a half, and then the design meeting that can be anywhere from an hour to four hours. And we really duke it out. Like that's that's a pretty intense day. Um, I try to be in the office as much as I can, um, just really to connect with people, connect with my employees, and keep the pulse of things. Um, I my my job. There's a certain part of my job where I'm just kind of being a little bit reactionary to the daily the daily things that are going on, and then there's kind of the the grander visions that we're pushing forward. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, that means. I, I've, I have said that Peak Design has a very simple role in this world. We do two things. We launch products and we continue to sell them. Mm-hmm. Those are like the two business activities that we actually partake in. We are, I have been endeavoring to take place in a third business activity, and that is uh, regard, or it involves spreading the notion of um, carbon offsetting. Uh, this is kind of a, a lengthy topic, and I don't think I have the time to go into it too much right now. But suffice it to say, we have uh, we have begun to offset our carbon. Um, or not begun to. We actually have offset the carbon that has gone into every single one of, of, of these bags. We basically calculated it. We figured out that we have put about 50,000 tons of CO2 into the air since the inception of our company, mm-hmm. and we offset that. And it's actually incredibly affordable to offset the carbon. And this is not something that people are even aware of. Wow. For each one of our backpacks, um, we put about 200 pounds worth of carbon dioxide into the air in making it. And that includes like mining of the aluminum. Um, the transport of that to facilities, the fabrication into billets, the you know the the, um, the petrochemicals used in creating our textiles, the shipping it all around the world to end consumers, the packaging, all of it, mm-hmm. everything that we do, our flights over to Vietnam, that averages out to about 200 pounds worth of CO2 per backpack. Wow! And it costs 30 cents to offset that. And the way that we are offsetting it is basically we have financed um, the retrofit of landfills in the southeastern United States. Basically, we cover them with a big old tarp um, and the methane gas that was escaping before into the atmosphere, which is a really nasty uh, greenhouse gas. Um, we're trapping, we're collecting, and, and we're either flaring it, which just means burning it mm-hmm. and turning it into carbon dioxide, yeah. Or in better cases, we're actually turning it into electricity and knocking off some some of the some of the coal or natural gas electricity on the grid. That's um, huge, man. That's so huge, and it kind of you know it's woven into you and your passion as well for you know green tech and and you know being totally. very efficient with energy and how you utilize manufacturing and and everything involved in it. So that's awesome. I love that. I I am with, I I am I'm like. 
I, I have like a, a new thing that I'm super excited about, which is which is being able to kind of find the avenue through peak design to delve into pragmatic environmental solutions. Um, and I actually think that like when, when approached with with pragmatism um, at the as like the, the core tenet, um, I think that it has the opportunity to kind of bridge political divides because as we all know that that somehow got all gummed up. You know, mm-hmm. um, Republicans used to be the best environmentalists out there. And then and 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 then the 70s happened and a bunch of crazy shits happened since then. And somehow, like, it, it's divided. But I think that the, I think that people on both sides of the aisle actually really like pragmatic solutions. And I have yet to find a person who says that it's a bad idea to blow smoke up into the air and then trap the smoke and put it back down. Yeah. No, no, you know, like, even if you don't believe in climate change, you might say, like, well, that's probably a good idea because then there's less smoke up. Yeah, I think a lot of companies are, are well, I wouldn't say a lot, but they're finally coming around a little bit. But it's still, you know, there's still so much to be done. And there's so, you know, there's so many big, giant, million, billion dollar corporations just still just pumping that stuff out. And, you know, slowly but surely, I feel like it's, it's, it's coming, you know, into the green tech, green tech yeah. area. So that's amazing. I hope so, man. Cool. Well, we're gonna we're, we're gonna take a crack. Yeah. Know? Oh yeah. I Peter, you're awesome, dude. Thank you so much for coming on here. Can you let people know, uh, kind of where they can, you know, jump into the Kickstarter and look at that, and where they can also go to the site and and some of those plugs? Totally. Yeah. I mean, peakdesign.com is gonna is gonna get you to everything. I think googling Peak Design or Google Peak Design Kickstarter, and you'll definitely get to the Kickstarter. That's the that's the best way to get. Um, our newest gear, and these are the best products we've ever made. I'm super proud of them. Um, they're beautiful. Uh, and, um, yeah, uh, that's where we're telling our story. And, and, and please follow along. I, I'd say sign up for the newsletter cool. because we don't, you know, we don't, we don't bombard. We, we generally send things out when we have something interesting to say. Sweet. And then uh, for Instagram, it's at Peak Design, which I highly suggest to check out because you guys put out really killer content on there. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Cool. Well, Peter, thank you so much for hanging out with us. I appreciate it, man. My pleasure. Really enjoyed it. That'll do it, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Darkroom Podcast, the first ever Darkroom Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, please subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, whatever way is easiest for you. And also drop in a rating and let us know what you think. We're going to be coming at you every single week with somebody new and inspiring. And the guests are awesome. So once again, thank you guys. Subscribe if you can, and we will see you next week.